was a wimp. God called him to proclaim a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, and the very first thing he did was run away, run away. Rather than obeying the call of God, Jonah made a mad dash for the coastline and a cruise ship and a far away country. He thought he could escape the call of God by just getting out of Dodge. In this, he was very much like us. We too are afraid and are prone to try to run away from God, run away from the calling that God has on our lives, run away from what God wants us to do. Jonah was afraid of this calling. It must have been a very daunting prospect to, to go to a foreign city, to the capital of a foreign empire, and to proclaim a message of repentance to them. I mean, I'm sure he thought they were going to kill him. I mean, you've really got to cut him a little bit of slack here. You've really got to understand where Jonah's coming from. He's afraid. And we would be afraid too. We also would hesitate to take a message of condemnation, a message of judgment, a message of warning, a message of repentance to a people, to a foreign people, to a people who are not of your kingdom, and to say, if you don't repent, you don't stop doing what you're doing, God's going to kill you. So Jonah was afraid, and he ran away, got on a ship, going to Tarshish, and run away from, running away from God, and of course God stops him. There's a big storm at sea, and the people on board, the crew, the captain, they're all afraid. They're throwing the cargo overboard, trying to make the ship lighter so that it won't capsize. They're trying very carefully, trying hard to save themselves while Jonah is down in his cabin asleep. In fact, if you read it in some of the translations into Greek, you, you notice from the Hebrew in, into Greek, it says that he's snoring. He's sleeping so deep. That's not easy to do when the ship's uh, rocking and uh, bouncing around. It's hard to be snoring in the middle of a storm at sea. And the captain comes and says, what are you doing? Shouldn't you be praying to your own God? Maybe it'll stop this. So he admits what's going on. He admits that this storm is happening because God's angry at him and that they ought to just throw him overboard. And that'll save him. They row really hard trying to save themselves, trying to get back to land. They can't row the ship hard enough, fast enough to get back to shore. So they pray to Yahweh to forgive them. And they pick up Jonah and they throw him overboard. And it says a great fish, a great large fish came and gobbled him up. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, we have the account of Jonah in the belly of the fish, praying to God, recognizing that he had made a mistake, repenting of his error, and then God has the fish barf him up on the shore. Blech. He gets up and wipes off the fish guts. And if you read it very carefully, you'll notice something strange. He was swallowed in the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Lebanon. And he's barfed up on the shore of the Euphrates River close to Nineveh. Now, my friends, that's 
it's impossible, it's very difficult, not necessarily impossible, it's extremely difficult because there was no Suez Canal, he was only in the fish for three days and three nights, so he, that fish would have had to have gone through the Mediterranean, all the way around Africa, up through the Indian Ocean, to the Persian Gulf, up the Euphrates River, to barf him out. Or it was a suborbital puke from the Mediterranean, <laughs> Bush. or, or, after he gets barfed out and wiping off the fish guts, God gives him the second word. God, you know, he doesn't say that he remembers God's word. He doesn't say he remembers what God said to him. He says, God spoke to him again, a second time. Even covered with fish guts, even having trying to run away, God still speaks. Now, that's good news for us, friends means that you can say no to God, and God's going to talk to you again, too. You can be covered with fish guts, and God's going to talk to you. Hmm. It means probably what happened was the fish barfs him up, he gets the word again, and he walks across Syria and Iraq to get to Nineveh. All right, he's in Nineveh. And it's a big city, over 100,000 people. So he's preaching in Nineveh, and he's preaching this message of repentance, warning them that they need to repent of their sin, warning them that they need to change their ways, warning them, doing what God told him to do. Repent and seek the Lord. And he only gets in one day's walk, and he only preaches for one day, and the whole city repents. Not only that, it says that the king, the king himself got into the act. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our government did that? Amen? Amen. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And as we heard in the reading today, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And you would think, after having such a success in his evangelistic mission, having had such a wonderful success and having had the whole city and even the king repent of their sin, put on sackcloth and ashes, and repent and change, we're going to change our lives, set aside our violence, and follow the Lord God, the creator of the universe. Having had such a wonderful reception, you think Jonah would be thrilled. I can report to the district superintendent that the whole city <laughs> repented. I wish I could report to the district superintendent that the whole city of commerce 
would repent of its sin. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. This is even greater. It's over 100,000 people. And they're animals. But no. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. He's a wimp, and now we see he's a crybaby, and quite frankly, he's quite a drama queen. Listen to this. <laughs> he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, is this the kind of prayer you want to pray to the Lord? Oh, Lord, it is not, it is not this is not this what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. What's wrong with that? And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Jonah is mad because he was expecting God to smite them Ninevans. He was expecting that the Ninevans would not receive the message, they would not repent of their ways, and now he's going to get to see a barbecue. He's going to get to see these people get smitten whacked by God but God's not gonna do it and so he tells this whopper of a lie he says I didn't go in the first place because I knew you'd forgive him huh no you were afraid he can't I didn't go in the first place because I knew you'd forgive him well so so and now I'd rather die Listen to that. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. If I were Yahweh, I'd say, all right, wham! <laughs> and the Lord said, thank God I'm not God. And the Lord said, it is right, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I mean, he's asking a logical, meaningful question. I mean, you're angry because all of these people repented, and now I'm not going to whack them? You're angry about that? Is it right for you to be... You ought to be rejoicing, Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? And listen to Jonah's reply. Yes! <laughs> I'd rather die than live. And then Jonah went out of the city, and he sat down with his bowl of popcorn. He's going to wait. All right, well, maybe God will strike him dead anyway. Maybe God will change his mind again and say, okay, they didn't really repent well enough. They didn't put sackcloth and ashes on like I thought they should. They forgot to put sackcloth and ashes on their basset hounds and on their pussycats and on their horses and on their cows. So I'm going to strike them anyway. And so he sits there and he waits. And, and God allows this bush to grow behind him. And it, and it shields him from the heat of the afternoon. And so he's happy. But then a worm comes and the next day, the bush is withered and dead and a hot, sultry wind is blowing. And he's upset and uncomfortable. And he whines again. It is better for me to die than to live. Drama queen is right. 
whining, whining wimp. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush, for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? Shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? You are concerned about a bush. Shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? You see, Jonah's mad because God didn't strike them dead. God forgave them. God gave them grace. The people heard the message. They repented. They put sackcloth and ashes on, which was the practice for repentance at the time. They expressed their repentance to God, and God heard, received it, and gave them grace. And Jonah's mad about it. Wow. We're a lot like Jonah. We want grace for us. We want judgment for everybody else. My friend, who I preached about a couple of weeks ago, mentioned him in my sermon, Gary, my Church of Christ pastor friend up in Kansas City. Gary, who, who listens to me, by the way, on the internet. <laughs> Gary loves to preach fire and brimstone sermons. He loves to preach about how God's going to judge you and strike you unless you repent of your sin. But when people repent, he rejoices. So also when, when people change their minds, when people repent, when people recognize their need to change, when we recognize our need to change, God's gift of grace, God's forgiveness, God's love, God's joy, God's peace is present and there. We see that in Jonah. We know it in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the experience that we all have that God is a loving God, a gracious God, a forgiving God. This description that Jonah laid out there and which actually describes the reality, this description that he has, as his reason why he wasn't going to go and preach in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. This description is true. Jonah's right. This is God. It's not the reason why he didn't want to go preach. It is God. And God's grace, this mercifulness, this joyous mercy that we see here in accepting the repentance of Nineveh, this response of God is one that we know too. God's loving, receiving, accepting forgiveness my brothers and sisters
it is a temptation to run from the call of God. It is a temptation to say, God, I don't want to go do this work. I don't want to proclaim this message. After all, Jonah's real fear was that they were going to kill him. It's a temptation to do that. And sometimes we run from the call of God. We, we don't want to do what God says. We hear the call and we say, no, God, ask somebody else. We see that throughout Scripture. It happened again and again and again and again. We are called to respond the first time to the call of God, to respond and go and do what God says and proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness. We are called to be a people, internalizing the call to repent and expressing the joy of God's forgiveness for all. Let us be about proclaiming that message. As we move through this season of Epiphany and on towards Lent, as we get ready to get ready for Holy Week, Good Friday and Easter, as we get ready to get ready for Lent, let us truly be aware of what God is calling us to do. Let us be open to that call and let us be willing to go and proclaim it and accept what God does. Accept the gracious gift of forgiveness, the wonderful grace of God, which knows no limitation, which is bottomless and can never be emptied out. Let us proclaim that good news that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share it with all and rejoice in the kingdom that God is going to build. In the wonderful new empire of grace that God has us to live in. Let us be ready to receive it. Participate in it. Proclaim it. Live it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy In your presence, Lord, let me learn at your feet. I will taste the riches of been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. 
This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.